this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. One of your hosts, Dan, here, and no Nick, no Brandon, but the wonderful Sam, you know, Miss CFC Central, has joined me, and we are going to be jumping into. A match preview. That's right. It's been a long time since we've done one of these, Sam, for the AC Milan match that Chelsea have coming up midweek that really is going to be the decider of fates when it comes to what Chelsea's advancement, or lack thereof, may take place this season out of the group stages. Definitely. Crunch time. I think Porter's going to have to work some serious, serious magic. Um, to get us out of you know the Milan fixtures with hopefully one win. I think we need four points to be pretty certain of our progress. The other two sides have done pretty well so far. So I think we will need to make sure that we get as much out of these two games as possible. So I'm, I'm pretty nervous, to be honest. We genuinely need uh, to, to make sure that we get out of the Champions League group stages for FFP reasons and, and for you know basically prestige and also for Porter's long-term security. So... Yeah, hopefully we can make it through. Well, look, we're going to get into how Milan set up because I'm going to guess that most of us aren't watching them week in, week out with as much ferocity as we are watching and dissecting Chelsea matches. We're going to talk about who those key threats are. Obviously, a few familiar faces in their lineups from former Chelsea players, uh, some that we wish were still here, and then talk about how they can be exploited so what are the ways that Chelsea can get at them? What are the ways that Potter can devise a path forward? And then how should we, in order to execute upon that lineup? But we did do a three-word match preview because why not? You know, we've got our friends over at Bird Dogs who are sponsoring, and uh, we want to throw them a little extra bone for all of the wonderful help that they're providing to the podcast and uh, hopefully providing to you in terms of the great comfort that you can uh, get from their attire. So anyway, I, Sam, I'll give you an extra second. I went with win and survive because I know you mentioned four points is what we need to get out of these two. And yes, the math checks out there. Four points out of these two would definitely set us on the path to being able to make sure we feel better about our spot. But I think at Stamford Bridge, at home, Potter, third match in charge, to me, this feels more like the winnable of the two fixtures. And so in that regard, I think it is win and survive. Because at this point, you're also relying upon a little bit of luck that either Salzburg or Dynamo Zagreb do not win their upcoming fixture. And that, you know, if you can hope that they have a draw, we have a win, you've really stabilized the group a little bit and now turned into anyone's game. I agree. I think that's that's a really, really good assessment. Um, you know, and... and- we had the luxury of, okay, if you get knocked out of a disappointing campaign, you just get out of Europe and you focus on the league campaign. Now we go to the conference league, which is going to be, I think, further humiliation. We do not want to be, you know, traveling to the Arctic Circle and facing Polo Klimt and all those teams. So I think it's just wiser to be, you know, either out of Europe or, or competing for top honors. So I think it's going to be very, very important. Um, my three-word review would probably be preview would probably be the Italian job. I think it's it's definitely going to be smash and grab. We have to to make sure that uh, we go in there with a set plan, with the really really intelligent blueprint. Um, grab what we can basically, and hopefully it'll be um, six points if I'm being extremely optimistic. Four if I'm being more of you know a realist, but. Hopefully we can get that run away and uh, get our campaign back on track. Well, and just as we talk about that. 
Again, the opponent is AFC Milan. It is this Wednesday, October 5th. It is the Champions League game, and it is at Stamford Bridge. So if you're going there, have a wonderful time and enjoy it. But we want to jump right in, just talking about Milan's playing style. And if you haven't been watching, uh, don't don't forget, they, they also won Serie A last season. So congratulations to them. They are having a strong campaign this season. But there are some concerns that we want to dig into around the health of their side, who, you know, we think about our issues of N'Golo Conte being injured and Edouard Mendy being injured, and we're like, oh, okay, you know, short-term injury for one, persistent, ongoing issue for the other, but they basically have, I don't know, they're, they're probably building a hospital wing at this point with the amount of injuries they're running into with Milan, and so, I mean, Sam, maybe we should start there and just, they are not a healthy side at the moment. And if you're going to get a team at any point, this feels like the most opportune time for Chelsea to take advantage. No, for certain. I think it's, it's definitely looking like um, how we looked like last season, to be honest. Uh, a lot of knocks and, and short-term, medium-term niggles and, you know, a lot of um, concerns. I mean, uh, key players, you know, they're not just people who come in and rotate. They are actually key, key players that um, play for the side week in, week out. We've uh, talked about Mike Mannion, who's their number one goalkeeper. He went for international duty, got injured, might miss both of those games. Um, so he's out. Ibrahimovic is somebody who's a long-term absentee. Um, they didn't need any more injuries, uh, and they were playing against Empoli, and Alexis Salamakas had a hamstring injury. Then um, their first choice right back, Tavide Calabria, went off on a stretcher, basically. And it looks like uh, he's going to be out for, for some time. And there were also some concerns with uh, Simon Kier's hamstring. So they're basically missing first choice right back, first choice goalkeeper, first choice left back. Theo Hernandez is somebody who's also a doubt for either the first one or both games. They're also missing uh, the only centre-back, I would say, who's displayed you know extreme leadership qualities in Simon Kier. Um, you know, it's a very young Milan side, to be honest. When you look at, you know, Fikayo Tomori, you look at Kalulu, you look at Benacer, you look at Tonali, it's a it's an under-24 spine of the team. So it's, it's very young. They're not used to these kind of fixtures and care would have been probably somebody who might have been a surprise pick. So probably five, four or five starters were injured and, and could be missing both matches. Yeah, that is... Yeah, unfortunate for them, and it's not great when players or people are hurt, but if Chelsea were going to be in a position to take advantage of Milan to, you know, be the beneficiaries of any luck in this regard, it seems like that's the most that we could potentially get heading into this fixture. But as we go into Milan in particular, the strengths they had as a team that looks likely to challenge for the title again this year in Italy... Fullbacks, you know, come to mind. Really, result. Uh, re- re- sorry, resolute defense in that regard. Strong midfield, strong center forward play. They're, in my mind, Sam, a very well-rounded side, front to back in what they offer. And I think that's probably where we maybe want to start. Is just how their overall kind of shape of play is back to front in terms of setting up setting themselves up for success. Uh, I think that's a that's a really good place to start. Uh, it's also interesting what Pioli's journey has been. It was one point in time where the club had effectively agreed a deal with Ralph Rangnick to take over as manager, um, effectively give him 
extreme amount of control in terms of the transfers, in terms of the club identity. And then because Milan was doing so well, they stuck with the manager. And I think we're seeing, you know, long-term benefits of that faith put in the Milan side. They also lost uh, Donnarumma, who was basically their first choice keeper, who had been there for the longest time, I think since he was 16 years old. He was in the first team. So losing him was a big blow. They effectively came in with Mike Mannion. They got Fikayo Tomori from us. They got Giroud from us. And they've been very smart with their recruitment. They've, I think, gone out and picked up some excellent deals. Sandro Tonali, they picked up from Brescia, uh, one of the best-known young Italian talents, and they took a gamble on him, which most Italian sides do not do. I mean, it's sort of like an unwritten rule that when you have a promising 19-year-old youngster in Serie A, he basically goes abroad to play. You know, no Serie A side wants to... The top, at least the top four or top five don't want to take a chance on youngsters. It's just a little bizarre. But they took a chance on Tonali and and he's turned out to be a really, really good player. So overall, I think the side is extremely strong. It's got a really good balance in terms of proven veteran winners. When you talk about an Ibrahimovic, when you talk about a Giroud, you know, they're all Giroud is a World Cup winner has led a side, you know, that that knows how to play football and, and he's got the experience of being in, in different sides, playing in different systems. And then obviously you've got probably the best young talents around. You know, you've got uh, Fikayo Tumori at, at centre-back, who's obviously, we know him pretty well. Um, Pierre Kalulu is you know, knocking on the door in terms of, you know, French centre-backs. It's just there are so many of them that he's unable to get into the national side. Um, very good midfield pivot as well. I think that's what's sort of impressed me the most about Milan. I think they've some excellent balance in the middle of, of midfield. Again, they lost Frank Kessie to Barcelona and it was looking like, what are they going to do? But cope really well. And I think Ismail Benacer and, and Sandro Tonali is a very strong midfield pivot. And it's overall, I think, a side that relies on a variety of strengths. They're not monodimensional. They know exactly how to play vertically. They know how to play in terms of keeping the ball and progressing it patiently. Um, they can give you a variety of issues. You know, they're, they're happy to to attack you through the middle. They're happy to attack you from the flanks because they know they've got somebody like a Giroud, you know, in the box. So it's going to be a plethora of threats. I think Pioli has at his disposal the ability to sort of look at our side and say, this is where the weakness is and this is how we need to attack it. And this Milan side would do it well. So that's something that we have to be very, very careful of. And just for those who haven't paid attention to Milan in their first two, so they're sitting at the top of the group right now at four points. They did draw Salzburg away. And at home, they beat Dynamo Zagreb 3-1. to one. So, And when you look at those two, the expected goals for and then against, against Salzburg was a point six to a point nine. So uh, on on odds, probably a as expected match and then they did a great job just walking uh Zagreb when it was a 2.0 expected goals when they scored three and then expected goal allowed was actually a little bit of a defensive lap from them when it comes to uh, a point three expected allowed and then uh, one conceded so in general they have looked mostly solid I would say in the first two matches they had and you're really getting a a wounded competitor coming into this match. And I think that's where, if you're going to hang your hat on anything, Sam, it's the fact that even though there's a lot of danger in this side, even though they've had a chance to play this style, to really understand who they are, to build their patterns more effectively than 
Chelsea have than Potter have. Again, this is going to be the third match for him. I feel like that has evened up this match a little bit more, where maybe Milan was the surefire favorite heading into this match, just from some of that consistency, the squad depth, where they were, and kind of their comfort level. Now it feels a little bit more even on the odds. No, for sure. And I think some cracks from, from last season have been apparent even before the injury crisis. I think they were very solid in defense last season and it went a long, long way in, in getting them the Scudetto. I think they were tied first for defense um, last season in in Serie A. And this season, I think they've got two clean sheets in 10. And they haven't kept a clean sheet in either of their UEFA Champions League games. So there is a little bit of uncertainty. I think teams are t- trying to sort of like figure out how they can attack this, this formation. They're not very tactically versatile even though in one system they offer a lot of threats, I think they tend to stick with a 4-2-3-1, which is pretty much their standard formation for whatever they do. So they like to play their game, but I think teams are now wary of like the kind of ways that they can exploit this. So um, it's good for us. I think um, somebody as astute as Graham Porter would have taken note. I think his analysts would have been looking at it and, and looking at games like uh, the ones against Napoli, which they lost, or the one against Inter Milan earlier in the season, and saying this is how we cleave them open. So enough scopes to exploit them. Major injury crisis where they're losing basically like half the defense. I mean, more than half the defense. The goalkeeper and both fullbacks. So I think an opportunity, right? But in the past, we haven't made the most of those. So I'm just being cautiously optimistic. Well, let's dig into this, some more of the specific threats in just a moment. We're going to take a quick ad break. So we thank the sponsor for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. And just a reminder, you know, Brandon is doing all this awesome YouTube video content. Uh, go check that out. Just search Linus Blue Podcast on YouTube. And then also, Ishan's posting a ton of stuff on TikTok. And we're over 10,000 followers there, which is really nice. So thank you if you follow us there and enjoy all the wonderful stuff that he's doing. Let him know. Leave, leave a comment there. But anyway, Sam, as we go into key threats and maybe more some of these specific players, I know you have it ordered here as defense, midfield, attack. I want to kind of start at the top with the familiar face and the face that maybe some people have become aware of due to rumored links of interest. But when you have Giroud and Liao as a part of your attack, that is, I don't know, terrifying. That's probably the stuff that nightmares that's keeping Graham Potter awake and his staff awake potentially at night as they head into this midweek match. But in general, very comfortable with one another, very good partnership there. And that is going to cause a lot of problems for a defense that really hasn't settled on the Chelsea side. No, you're absolutely right. I think in terms of Giroud, I think it's somebody that we're very familiar with. And the less said about him, you know, I mean, you can't say enough about his strengths. He's he's probably, in my opinion, the best target man in the world. Somebody who is, you know, a catalyst in attack. I think he makes everybody better, even if it affects his own game, even if it affects his scoring tally, even if it affects how involved he is in the game. He's just an, an incredible forward in terms of, and probably aged like fine wine. He's gotten better after leaving us. I think he's he's looked incredible for the national team. He's also looked great for Milan. So really good there. I mean, I don't have to go into detail there. But yeah, Liao is uh, <laughs> Liao is going to be a major, major issue. I think he's definitely going to give whoever's on the right-hand side major issues. And I say that for anyone, uh, including Aspiliqueta, including Fofana or Trevor Chalaba or whoever starts there, I think it's going to be arguably one of the toughest challenges that that they've come up against. I think he's somebody who's growing at an exponential rate. You know, he was 
probably a, a a very one-dimensional winger when when he started off at Sporting Lisbon, but then you know now he's two-footed. Uh, he's happy to be a playmaker on the wing. He's also developed this incredible sort of radar for passes from out wide, where he can pierce the fullback and the centre back and find the centre forward or runners in between. Tends to be very accurate with his cutbacks, and I mean four goals and four assists in in seven starts. I think speaks volumes about his his contribution in the league already. And uh, last game against Empoli, he assisted one and got a stoppage time uh, goal, you know. So it was, I think he's going to be definitely their attacking talisman. On the left-hand side, you know, I think going with a back three would be would be nice. I think it would be good to to have somebody like Rish James putting pressure on him to try and track back to defend. And probably having a very strong right centre-back like, say, Wesley Fofana to, to counter his his kind of influence and his ability to to run at people, to to twist you inside out and to score. I think he's just going to be very, very difficult to handle. Yeah, that attack with Liao and Drew, who right now is the current leading scorer across all competitions for the Milan side with five goals scored, but right behind him is Liao with four. One assist for Giroud, uh, six assists for Liao. So whether he is contributing from a goal perspective or an assist perspective, he is finding a way to get involved. And as we look at it, just on his total contributions, his uh, you know goals and assists minus uh, penalties is one point two three per ninety right now. So if someone is going to make the difference in this game, it is. Uh, someone who's just a bad man. He is a bad, bad man, Sam, and he is going to uh, really frustrate our defenders. He is. And, and he's sort of added so many aspects to his game, I think, which differentiate him from some kind of wing players that like to stay, you know, on, on the way. You look at somebody like Callum hudson who's happy to receive on the left-hand side, cut inside and shoot. Obviously, when you've got an inverted winger like him, he loves doing that. But he's equally happy coming into central midfield, you know, playing in the center. He's also built like a center forward. His upper body is huge. You know, so he's happy to collect aerial balls in his chest. He's happy to play one-twos with Jiru and get into the box to try and score. So he's effectively a, a multifaceted threat who can move across the front line and is arguably going to give, you know, the back line a lot to think about. So, like you said, you know, not just goal contributions in 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 general in in an overall sense i think it's just the variety of threat that he has in his armory that's going to be very difficult to counter yeah i think if you're thinking about it it's almost like the way that liverpool used to set up where you had um you know mane and kind of the the solid piece there where or you know it are effectively more like firmino and Mane playing off one another is the way that like Giroud and Liao kind of head off one another too. So I, I think if that, that to me is probably the most like similar comp to like, Hey, what, what should I expect if I haven't seen this before? Expect that when it was not, <laughs> not when it was a together and be good. Uh, not where Liverpool are kind of currently today. I think that's a, that's a fantastic, that's a fantastic parallel to be honest. I hadn't thought of that, but I think, you know, super credit uh, for bringing that comparison. I think it would be very similar to to compare that in terms of Giroud dropping and, and trying to connect with the three attacking midfielders behind him. I think the only difference between the Firmino, Mane and, and Giroud setup is that Giroud doesn't really, isn't really asked to go out wide. He doesn't really sure. drift to the flanks a lot. 
you know, he'll he'll try to make sure that he gets the attention of both centre-backs. He will try to pin them back. So all those three attacking midfielders in front of him try to combine and get more space to shoot or create. So I think that's going to be essential. If we are playing with, say, a back four, then uh, whoever's playing in those two centre-back roles is arguably going to be, you know, occupied with Giroud's runs or, you know, being asked to track when he drops. So he's going to give you those kind of headaches. But luckily, he won't drift out wide and give you overloads. He'll try to stay in the centre. Well, as we talk about that midfield connection, obviously, that's one of the areas that I would say, hands down, without a healthy N'Golo Kante, with a half-fit Kovacic, and with a Jorginho who is struggling, they, if you're looking at like positions, where does Chelsea win, where does potentially Milan win, just in a positional level, Milan wins hand down, hands down with the midfield when you think about Tonali and others. But I guess, how are you expecting them to come at us from maybe the midfield control that they're going to try to exert in this game. Okay, so I'll, I'll say this on the pod, Dan. I think this is the first time I'm saying this out publicly, but um, right now, as of this moment, everything considered, I think our first choice target for next season in midfield should be Ismail Benacer. I think he should be definitely on top of that list. Um, our scout should be all over him, analyzing whatever output that he can produce till the end of the season and do their best to get him at the bridge. I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, somebody who's, you know, one of those rare all-round central midfielders who's happy to give you an attacking thrust, who's happy to also defend and, and provide um, a lot of defensive backup for, for the back four. Uh, just to give you a, a good context, I think he's in the top 15 or 20 for uh, key passes or chances created from open play. So he's he's there in the top 20. He's also fifth um, for recoveries um, in, I think, Serie So somebody who offers you a lot of value at both ends of the pitch. And he's got an excellent relationship with Sandro Tonali, who I would say is um, probably Jorginho in his prime, somewhere similar. He's also a register, somebody who likes to orchestrate play um, he's also a lot more direct. You would often see him try to drift out wide and play long balls to Giroud. So he's going to be essentially the the main engine room of, of Milan midfield. So he's going to collect balls in spaces whenever Milan are going to build up. They usually build up in, in different shapes. Sometimes, you know, a, a 4-2, they will sometimes go 2-3. But Tonali, in general, will try to drift into the channels. He will try to connect the play from, from defence to midfield and probably to attack. So one part of our, our major duties against Milan will be trying to control him. You know, he we have to shut him down somehow. And a lot of the sides that have dealt with Milan effectively have had effective strategies in, in denying Tonali space. You know, when you suffocate him, it's something that we've seen in Jorginho also. The moment you get on him, the moment you man-mark him, the moment you, you know, are breathing down his neck, he tends to struggle. It's the same with Tonali. So I think that's the game plan that we will like to do. But he's somebody who will play a lot of short passes. Um, he's happy to carry it through space. Also, pretty intelligent in the way that he makes runs. You know, he'll end up next to the center forward from a double pivot, which is pretty adventurous in terms of his positioning. And he also has a very good long pass on him where he'll just collect it and try to put a long ball over Silva's head for Giroud to run onto. So multifaceted threat will be the link for, for Milan. So if we can suffocate him, a lot of joy to be had. But in, in general, I think 
that midfield pivot is definitely on current form in in terms of current availability. It's definitely better than anything that we have right now. It almost feels like something, and maybe kind of talking about how we should set up in particular. There's a lot that we can go into where their weaknesses are, but you know, it's something like having. And I, I know, obviously, Mason has not had his strongest season to date, but if he plays a little further back and just kind of goes toe-to-toe with Tenali, really makes life difficult, harries him the entire match, that might feel like a good use of you know someone who does have an engine to go 90 minutes toe-to-toe with somebody um, and kind of mark him out of the game a little bit. Is that kind of where your, your head's at? Or I guess maybe pulling it back out. Is that the primary area of weakness that we should be going after, or is there another area we should be targeting? There are, there are, I think, a couple of weaknesses to look at. Um, interestingly, Porto has been um, very smart about exploiting teams that play 4 2 3 1. He's gone up against Man United and he's played a three box three. So he's played a box midfield, um, which effectively tries to overwhelm the double pivot. So you basically play around and get a central overload. And uh, you get four players to try and overwhelm and then basically like, you know, make the other two chase shadows. So I think it's something that we've tried against Palace with a 4-2-2-2. So I think in terms of when you look at um, the overall formation of, of the Milan side and how they play, they play with one center forward. So we're probably going with the back four. Um, they've got a double pivot. So we're going with a four-man midfield to try and overwhelm them. And they go with a back four. So we're going with two center forwards, which is also the thinking. So I think all that factored into the process. I think the 4-2-2-2 from Crystal Palace will be something that we, again, might see against Milan with probably the same personnel. Fingers crossed, barring any injuries, last minute um, changes. But uh, I think that's going to be the system that that will try to to put Milan's midfield into a lot of trouble. Uh, it didn't work out well against Palace. Koba and Georgie were struggling. But if you get that link right, if you can overwhelm those two players, then I think we'll have midfield superiority and, and we can take it away from that. I think that's one of the major weaknesses that we should be looking at. Um, another one that I would say is, like I said, I think they lack a little bit of leadership and experience at the back. And uh, Kalulu and Tomori tend to be very aggressive in, in the way that they mark. So it's pretty easy for an intelligent forward to drag one away from the other. A lot of the goals that they've conceded this season have been when Kalulu and Tamori have been basically, you know, streets apart. So Kalulu has been pulled out by one player and uh, you've got a 1v1 inside the box and, and they've been able to play out wide. So uh, one of the goals that I was analyzing for Inter was when Lotaro and uh, Kohea basically dropped and they pulled both centre-backs out. And Milan were basically only left with two full-backs at the back. And you had Marcelo Prozovic run into space and score. So I think that's an effective tactic to have. If you can have two forwards that basically try to stretch the Milan backline like a rubber band until it snaps, I think that's also going to be a very interesting uh, tactic to take forward. Uh, and a minor ploy would probably be trying to exploit Milan's left-hand side on transitions. They tend to be very adventurous. I think now it will be a little difficult because Theo Hernandez tends to bomb forward a lot from the left-hand side. And obviously, um, Rafael Leao is somebody who likes staying up very high. And he doesn't track back very well. I think he's somebody in the Eden Hazard mold um, who likes being on, you know, in the attacking positions, like receiving in space and, and run at defenders. But when it comes to defending and, and tracking your runners, you know, you need somebody like a Mourinho, you know, putting a boot up your butt and saying, 
my friend, you need to work harder and do something for your fullback. So I think Liao doesn't do that very often. A lot of the times he tends to lose his marker, tends to casually jog back. Um, but I mean, they're probably going to go with uh, probably Sergio Dest at left back. Uh, they also played uh, the young French international at left back. I forget his name. I think Balotoure. I think he's French. So Balotoure played at, no, he's Senegalese. So yeah, he he played at left back. So one of those two uh, two players is going to play at left back. So might not be as effective, but Leao tends to be very casual when he's, you know, on defensive duties. So hopefully we should be trying to exploit that. And thinking about, you know, spending 80 million or 100 million on him in summer, probably something that we should be definitely looking at. But those are the three things that I would say, you know, it's um, probably the way to exploit them. A lot of sites have have uh, capitalized on pulling Milan's aggression and using it against them. And uh, if you can do that, and if you can isolate one of our forward players against one of their fullbacks, I think I think we'll, we'll have the game in the back. In that regard, as we look at that lineup, we talked a little bit about the injuries earlier and who could miss games. And, you know, I think we're talking in that regard then the 4 2 2 2 or the three box three. How are you thinking or who are you thinking in terms of a lineup might shift out, shift in? And obviously, we've seen that, you know, Thiago Silva gets, you know, man, his minutes managed a little bit more at uh, kind of his, uh, I'm going to say old age of 38 as I turn that in November, which makes me cry a little inside. Or when you think about maybe others who had an appearance in this match might get, you know, substituted or you think like Jorginho potentially couldn't make it the full distance in this match might have this past match this weekend might've been more due to a tactical reason or kind of not being where he needed to be. There's a lot that Potter could do with a lineup, you know, could Ruben Loftus-Cheek be someone we put in midfield to give us a little bit more of the athleticism and some of that kind of tight ball control that we want to, have to not allow Milan an opportunity to capitalize? Now, in terms of, I think, <clears throat> anticipating the lineup, um, before the game when I was working on, before the Crystal Palace game when I was working on it, I used the same personnel that he used for the Crystal Palace game. So I think if it was up to him and, and if he had a full, clean bill of health to go with, I think it would be the same side that played against Palace. It would be probably the same guys. Uh, Jorginho came back holding his hip flexor, so I don't know what his fitness is like. Uh, Kova looked a little, you know, jaded. He looked like he was half fit and probably not keeping up with the pace of the game. Um, like you said, maybe, you know, we, we would see somebody like uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek come in. But I think if if it was up to me to have to assess this team and have a clean bill of health, I would go with the exact same 4-2-2-2 that he used against Palace because they're familiar with it and also because... At the end of it, I think we were getting a little bit of a hang of it in, in terms of like keeping possession. And then that tends to work very well in the Champions League. You know, you, if you can start the opposition of the goal, if you can keep it away from the likes of Liao and, and stuff, then I think it's going to be very effective. So probably go with the with the same lineup that we did against Palace. If Jorginho is not fit, then, you know, take the risk of playing Ruben Loftus-Cheek in there. I think that would still be okay. Well, we've also heard the rumors about behind closed door matches and the team getting an opportunity to try playing in different areas during the break for those who are not called up for national duty. I think one 
curveball that I know our kind of mutual friend, Ali Glanville, uh, he and I have talked about kind of quite frequently is this idea of uh, Trev, Trev Chalaba potentially playing as that kind of defensive mid position to give you a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more progressive passing from that area. Is that something you'd like to see or you think that maybe it's still, again, going to be too early for Potter to take a lot of risks with the lineup? Yeah, I think it would be too early in my in my opinion. I think it's an interesting idea considering he's somebody who's obviously played that position in the past and considering that he's capable of playing at fullback, he's also capable of playing as a centre-back. You actually have a DM option who's capable of dropping into a back four to make it a back three. So I think that's an interesting option to have, especially next to somebody like a Jorginho, which would allow him to sort of orchestrate play while Trev probably drops back and makes a back four into a back three and allows the other midfielders to, to sort of like go forward a little bit. But I think it would come a little too early. I'm, I'm still not sure in terms of what exactly Graham Potter wants from his ideal central midfielders. If, you know, if it's going to be somebody like um, uh, Moises Caicedo, who's not really interested in build-up, but probably, you know, participating in the second phase and doing a lot of hard work uh, up and down the pitch, but not really focused on central build-up. You know, Brighton like to go out wide and also tend to launch a lot of their goal kicks and, and go long because they had somebody like a Danny Welbeck uh, running the line and he was very good at, at chasing those balls and knocking it down for the likes of Prossard and all the other players. So is that going to be his blueprint? Does he actually want a player like Jorginho orchestrating central build-up? Or is he happy with somebody who can do it um, occasionally and then use probably a really good fullbacks to progress play forward. So I think that's going to be very interesting to see. I don't know whether Trev fits into that profile. And I, I, I mean, from the initial impressions, I don't know if Jorginho fits into it long term. So maybe a little too early. Um, I'm surprised Zakaria still hasn't made the bench. You know, he had a few rusty minutes against um, in the international break for Switzerland. So not probably fit enough to, to join in there. I think he would have been an interesting option. But I think he'll just play it safe and go with uh, Georgie and Kova. And, and Georgie tends to do well in Champions League games. So hopefully that'll work out for us. Yeah, I know that that recommendation or that realization might not be what people want to hear in terms of who they're hoping to to see in that regard. And uh, the, the Georgie-Kova pivot is not everybody's favorite midfield pairing but again it is a process element and uh, we are taking steps on the journey to figuring out what the future of chelsea is going to look like which again is going to involve a lot of recruitment and uh betting in of our uh talented academy players over the next few months but uh, as we round this out sam and as we think about it What's your projection for not not maybe a scoreline, but just more what's your projection for how this match plays out? Oh well, <laughs> this is this is a tough one. I mean, I I do not want to jinx anything. I don't want to be, you know, get far ahead of myself. Um, but if I had to make a very pragmatic decision, I would probably say a one-one and a two-one for us. I think sure, I mean purely because of I think we elevate our games and uh, when it comes to the big occasion, we tend to lift. I think these players get motivated when they play against the Real Madrid, um, you know, being 3-0 down and wanting to come back. I think these kind of pressure situations actually brings out the best in them. So I think it would be um, probably, you know, reasonable to expect one win. So I would go with 2-1 and 
the other one probably struggling a little bit and then holding out for a draw. So but probably respectable four points. And Leao getting a goal, I would say that. And um, hopefully Oba, Oba also getting in on the act. So yeah, I think that would be a prediction. 2-1 and 1-1 for the two games. All right. Well, I, I do hope that we get six points, but I will take four points based upon your projections and where I think that leaves us in the group and what that does to our chances. I actually think generally improves our chances, but we still need a little bit of help from our uh, friends at Salzburg and Zagreb to just do us a little favor and maybe uh, have a draw on this go around here. But that one is going to wrap us up. So uh, you're listening to this, hopefully uh, the day before the match. And we obviously haven't gotten the full details on what their injury status is or isn't. And, or you're potentially listening to this right before the match. Uh, if it's after the match, you can point out where we were wrong, but uh, hopefully it wasn't too much, but Sam, thank you so much for coming on and giving us a very detailed preview of Milan. And we'd look forward to hopefully celebrating the the victory as well uh, thank you so much dan i think there's a there's going to be a very close eye on a lot of milan players I and mean, leao is going to be one i think benacer is somebody we should definitely watch tonali also an interesting fit i think he'll probably be the closest one of the closest players to Jorginho that you can get in the market uh, he's been a boyhood milan fan so i don't know whether he wants to leave um but probably three players that we are genuinely interested in so and and considering mendy's contract stalemate uh, Mike Mannion has been mentioned, you know, before when we were looking at Mendy. He was one of the keepers that we were looking at. So, arguably, five Milan players who are on our radar who are on our radar. So, I think apart from just the thrill of the Champions League, it'll also be interesting in seeing, um, you know, how these players fit into a future Chelsea side. So, it's going to be exciting, especially for somebody like me who likes to analyze games and watch players. So, hoping we get Benacer and uh, probably that he has a really good audition against us, but Milan go on to lose. I think that's the ideal scenario. <laughs> All right. Well, we hopefully give you uh, plenty of things to analyze that we can chat about in the uh, the coming weeks. But that's going to wrap us up for this one. So hopefully you enjoyed this. Uh, don't forget to check us out uh, wherever you find your podcasts or potentially where you watch on YouTube. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.